we're getting now down to, um, which is a difficult time for me. It always is when we get down to a closing out a book. I always feel just scared to death. Always. It's, 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 never, it's never changed. I don't know why, but I get the same feeling of, of um, what if the Lord, what, is, what if this is the last book he's going to let me speak about, you know? And, and I get nervous. What if I won't be able to, to learn from this next book? What if I can't relate to what God is trying to teach in this next book? By now, I, I mean this with all respect to my Lord, Joshua is just so much fun. Of course, we're on the last chapter, but I, I feel like I know Joshua a little bit. I feel like I understand the very essence of his, of his faith, of his obedience, and, and, and what he wrestled with, and... And 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 Canaan, I mean Caleb, what a what a guy he must have been, and and then we can learn from them, and and that's kind of the essence of what is going to take place in this twenty fourth chapter of the book of Joshua. If you have a your Bibles, would you please open them to Joshua chapter twenty four? I believe the next book that we're going to study, the the uh, executive staff has asked me to go to the book of Ephesians, and so we're going to start that now. When I don't know. It won't be next week, that's for sure. It might not be the following week after that. Uh, just depends upon how long it takes me to get from the, the 14th verse to the end of this chapter, which might be just one week. I'm not, I'm not sure. Like I've told you over and over again, I don't study ahead. I, um, I don't try to figure out what's going on out there. I just try to take what chunk of the Lord gives me that particular week and study it and, and see what, uh, what He has in store for us. This particular place in Scripture is a little different than last week. Now, last week, Joshua is giving a, um, a message to the people. He is basically saying to them his final goodbyes because he, as we learned in the 23rd chapter, the 14th verse, he was going the way of the earth. And so he was about to, to uh, he's about to die. And so what he is doing is he's telling the people what is of utmost important to him. And so he is relaying to the people of Israel what, what is on his heart so that they might continue the path that they're on. It, it doesn't seem too far-fetched to me that, that Joshua is a lot like what we try to be here. And that is, I don't think Joshua is so concerned about where they, what they've come from and all of, those, all of those things. What he's concerned about is will they continue? When he is gone, will they continue doing the things that he is hoping that he is leading them on this journey that they are in the promised land. And that's kind of my, my two cents. That's where I come from. Uh, it is my deepest desire that you and I finish this life that God has so graciously given to us and that we finish it as strongly as we possibly can, honoring the Lord our God, that we would be faithful, that we would be obedient, and that we would... We would do the things that God would have us to do. One of the certain ways, one of the, the best ways that, uh, that I know how to, to continue on this walk that we have with Jesus Christ is to understand where we have been. It, there's, it, there, is a, there is a real beauty in understanding where you and I have come from in our faith. As a matter of fact, it was once said concerning history, those who cannot remember the past or refuse to explore or study the past, are condemned to repeat it again and again. And what we've come to this week is, 
a two or three part ending. I'm not sure as I've already told you of this great book called Joshua. But where we've come now, Joshua is going to be talking to the people, but as you're going to see here, approximately from verse 2 to verse 13, the Lord God seems to take over the conversation. He seems to be speaking to the people of Israel more than Joshua is. And what we're going to receive is a, a very brief history lesson from our Lord to the people of Israel so that they might remember what it is that has brought them to this place where they are right now in the promised land, at rest, at peace, and with the inheritance that has been promised them. Now what I don't want you and me to do, and I'm not going to allow us to do that this morning, is to just look at Israel and say, well, that's fine for them, but it has nothing to do with me. On the contrary, this whole message is about us in the New Testament. This whole message is about you and me looking to our past and learning from those things that we did correctly and to continue doing them and those things that we have not done so as well as we should and refusing to understand it and change where we need to change. And so I'm going to try and lead us to that path. I'm going to try to make you and me explore and study our history so that we will know where we've come from, and hopefully it will guide us to where we are going. Joshua's farewell message, as we'll see more next week, but let me just say, not surprisingly, calls for them to be obedient, where we've seen over and over again, and for them to serve the Lord their God all the days of their lives. But first, what Joshua is going to do is he's going to remind them of where they have come from. He's going to lay out their history of their forefathers. And hopefully, they will learn from this. But as you're going to read with me, from verse 1 to verse 13, you're going to watch, in some places here, Joshua is speaking as as if it is the Lord God Himself speaking to Israel. And so it would be the same for you and me. Let's look. Chapter 24. Let's read verses 1 through 13. Really a nice place in Scripture. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel and for their heads and their judges and their officers, and they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, From ancient times your fathers lived beyond the river, namely Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. Now watch. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the lands of Canaan, multiplied his descendants, and gave him Isaac. And to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and to Esau, I gave Mount Seir to possess it. But Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt by what I did in its midst. And afterwards, I brought you out. And I brought your fathers out of Egypt. And you came to the sea. And Egypt pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. But when they cried out to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and brought the sea upon them and covered them. And your own eyes saw what I did in Egypt. And you lived in the wilderness for a long time. 
Then I brought you into the land of the Amorites who lived beyond the Jordan and they fought with you and I gave them into your hand and you took possession of their land when I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of, the, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel. He sent and summons Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I was not willing to listen to Balaam, so he had to bless you. And I delivered you from his hand. And then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the citizens of Jericho fought against you. And the Amorite, and the Perizzites, and the Canaanites, and Hittites, and Girgashites, and Hivites, and the Jebusites. Thus I gave them into your hand, and I sent the hornet before you. And it drove out the two kings of the Amorites from before you but not by your sword or by your bow. Verse 13, And I gave you a land on which you did not labor, and cities on which you had not built. And you have lived in them. You are eating of the vineyards and the olive groves, which you did not plant. Now, as you can see, I don't believe that's Joshua at all speaking to those people. I don't believe Joshua did all those things to the people where he would use the personal pronoun saying, I, I, I. No, I believe that God took over his lips and his mouth and spoke to the people. Now, it would be a travesty if you and I were to think, well, that's good for them. Let's see what God's going to do with them and miss the very blessing that God wants to pour out upon our lives. It is this, it is if he is speaking to you and me as well this morning. He wants you and me to think back upon our past. He wants you and me to consider all that He has done in our lives. Consider the wonders of who He is. I think I told you this before. I had a pastor friend went over to his house and he used to speak for me back when I was working with the Dodgers and the Angels and he would do a lot of chapels because he was a magnificent communicator of the Word of God. And he was really he really hit home to these guys. They liked him. So I would bring him back as often as he would come. And I would meet him often in his home, pick him up, and we would drive to the stadium together. One day I was at his home and I looked at a bookshelf he had, and there was just books upon books upon books of these journals, just journals. And I asked him, what is all of that? Oh, he says, look. And he pulled one out and he showed me, and it was his handwriting. And he, and he, and he showed me dates and he, and he showed me what was said and he showed me other dates. And he says, the date on top is the day that I started praying for what I've written down here. And the date on the bottom is when God answered. And he had journals of these things. And he says, whenever I think that God is not working in my life, I go back and read here and I remind myself, he said, of all that God has done for me, all the times he has answered my prayers. I thought, wow, wow, it's an interesting thing to be able to look back and see the wonders of what God has done for us. And so that's basically what is happening here. God is reminding Israel what He has done for them. But I am saying to you as, as clearly as I know how, this is not just for Israel. It's for us. Watch. Watch. It'll unfold. Let's pray. Let's watch God work. Please, Father, open up our eyes and our hearts so that we might so that we might uh, behold absolutely wonderful things from your written word would you allow us to 
to see you within these pages. Father, it is truly my desire. It's not just words. I would love to just disappear from this. I would love, Father, that you would move me aside so that by the grace of an almighty God, we might hear your most wonderful voice speaking to our heart so that we might know for certain that you are calling us. You are moving in our hearts. You and you alone, Father, are the one who are doing these things. Let us be a people like Israel who heard you said, I gave you a land on which you had not labored, cities in which you have not built, and you live in them. You are eating of food which you did not plant. And Father, may we understand that all things come from you. And we need to thank you for that. So I ask your blessings upon this time that we are having with one another, especially with you, and that you might, Father, minister to each of us as you and you alone can do. You can take a message and you can reach the heart of absolutely hundreds of different people with the same message, all of them, Father, sensing that you're speaking to them and them alone. No speaker could do that. Impossible. Father, I don't even pretend. And so I ask that you might do that to each of us, that we would sense, Father, that you are here amongst us and you are leading us at this point in time and that we might hear your wonderful, wonderful voice within our heart so that we know you care and you desire, dear Father, to to lead us. I pray these things in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. You know what's really interesting about this whole scenario? What's really interesting about this whole scenario is that Joshua moved to Shechem to give this announcement. Verse 1 again. It says, Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem. Come to Shechem. And he called for them to speak. Now, it was an ideal location for Joshua to speak. Because it was at Shechem that God promised Abraham long ago that his descendants would inherit the land. And there they are. Fulfillment of what God promised Abraham long ago in Shechem. In fact, two places that kind of confirm this, Genesis chapter 12, uh, verses 6 and 7, and Acts chapter 7, verse 2. Acts chapter 7, verse 2 is Philip. Turn to Genesis, really. Acts chapter 7, verse 2 is is basically Philip, just before they were going to stone him to death, he cried out and yelled to all the people that they might hear him, saying, Hear me, brethren, hear me, fathers. This is Philip's uh, proclamation to these people. He said, The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham and reminded them of this place where we are now, of him meeting him, him meaning God, meeting him, meaning Abraham, in Shechem. And making this promise. Well, Genesis chapter 12 says it much better. It says verse 7, 6, excuse me, verse 6 of Genesis chapter 12. Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the oak of Morah. Now the Canaanites was then in the land. In other words, this was before they forced the Canaanites out of the promised land. And so it says in verse 7, The Lord appeared to Abram and he said, To your descendants I will give this land. 
So Abram built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared before him. What, what God did with Abram and what Philip cried out to the Jews at his time in the New Testament was that their national identity was purely an act of God's grace. Abram didn't seek after God. Abram didn't discover God. No, it was God who came to Abraham first. Shechem was located between two mountains, Ebal and Gerizim. And the people of Israel had gone to that site, Shechem, and reconfirmed their commitment to the Lord at one time. So Shechem was holy ground, if you would, to the Israelites. Now, as we've already said and already noted in chapter 24, verses 1 to 13, the Lord, God Himself, is the major focus in this second farewell address that Joshua is making to Israel. Joshua, in chapter 24 alone, refers to God 21 times. In fact, as I've already mentioned, Joshua quotes the Lord as if God Himself were speaking to, directly to the people. And what God does is remind them of His goodness. He reminds them, think back, He says, on your history and remember all that I have done for you. Now verse 2 reveals something really important. Look again with me at it. It's important about Abraham and it is this. When God called Abraham, He called him out of a home of idolatry. Verse 2. Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, From ancient times your fathers lived beyond the, the river. I always want to say Jordan. But beyond the river, namely Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. They were not. Abraham's family was not serving the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were serving other gods. Which raises a question, really for all of us, why then did God choose Abraham and make, to make a nation out of him? What was so special about Abraham? Well, let's consider the background, and I think the background will completely reveal why Abraham was so special. Let's go to the Tower of Babel, where, where the people were building this tower to reach up to God and... and and they were trying to make a one-world government. Sound familiar? They're trying to make a one-world government, the Tower of Babel, and man totally departed from the Lord at that time. No one served him, not even Terah, the father of Abraham. And so then God refu or confused their, their language at Babel. The people then scattered in every direction, and they took with them at least some knowledge of the true and living God. They knew something about Him, which, by the way, is reason enough why all people throughout the world today have at least some knowledge of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's no place that you and I can really go on this earth where those, the people don't have some knowledge that there is a God up there. Whether they worship Him or not, that's a whole nother story. But all people, as it says in Romans, are without excuse. They know innately that there is a God. But, as Romans tells us, they choose to go their own way 
and formulate gods out of their own minds. Out of insects, out of birds, out of animals, creepy things. And they worship those things that God created, Paul says in Romans, rather than the Creator Himself. And so as we taught last week, they might have a knowledge of God, but they do not know Him personally. And no one knows Him personally until they come to Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. Je- Jesus said without stuttering, which, which I absolutely love about our Lord. He says, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life, and nobody comes to the Father but through me. There is no getting around that. And so let's look at it this way. In the Old Testament, the Old Testament saints looked at God and remembered that He, or knew that He said He would send the Messiah to come to earth. And so they, by faith, trusted God that He would bring them one day a Messiah. They were looking forward to the coming Messiah. Didn't know when, didn't know where. They just were looking forward to the coming Messiah. Old Testament. They had faith that God was going to bring the Messiah. New Testament. Us. Today. We look back upon the cross. Actually, the resurrection, to be really correct. We look upon the cross and the resurrection, and we, by faith, trust that that was and is the Messiah. And that He raised Himself from the dead to prove to us, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that He is exactly who He said He is. So we take that and we look at that by faith. Old Testament, they look by faith at the coming Messiah. New Testament, we look by faith at the Messiah who came and we all meet at the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They were considered righteous because they had faith in the coming Messiah. You and I are considered righteous because we have the righteousness of Christ within us when we look back at what He did upon the cross. We all meet there. And so they did not know Him personally. Now what's God going to do when they all scattered and they all now have different languages? To be consistent with His character and the attributes of God, He could have done anything He wanted. He could have judged the human family. He could have removed us all from the face of this earth. He could have made the earth as bleak as the moon if He wanted to, but He didn't. No, rather, what He did was He restored mankind to Himself and He began with one man. And that man is Abraham. He plucked Abraham out and He set him aside and He made Abraham into the man that Abraham is. And Abraham was above anything else that you might read about him. He was a man of, do you know what? Abraham was a man of what? Thank you. He was a man of faith. His faith is what set him apart. In the Old Testament, look in the New Testament, look at Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to look at two places. We're going to look at Genesis 15, uh, 6, and we're going to look also at Hebrews 11, 8 through 10. But since, since I'm going to read the one verse in Hebrews 15, 6, it would be kind of quicker for you to go to Hebrews 11. But listen, please. Listen what it says about Abraham in the Old Testament. It says, by, it says, then he, talking about Abraham, Abraham believed in the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to Abraham as righteousness. 
his trust in God gave Abraham his righteousness. Faith gave Abraham righteousness. Now the writer in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, the 11th chapter, starting with verse 8 says, By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out, it says, not knowing where he was going. Now think about that just for a little bit. God comes to Abraham. He says, I want you to leave your family. I want you to take your wife and and whomever you wish. And I want you to go to a place that I am going to take you. What would be Abraham's natural response? Where? Where are we going? I'm not telling you. (laughs) God says, I'm not telling you. I just want you to go. So what we learn from this is Abraham, by faith, when he was called, verse 8 again, obeyed, and he went to a place that he didn't know where he was even going, verse 9. And by faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as a as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the fellow heirs of the same promise. Verse 10, because he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. See the similarities? Let me explain them to you if I may. Abraham was called by God. God said in essence to Abraham, follow me. Follow me. We're going to a place that I'll tell you about in due time. Where are we going? You don't need to know. Just follow me. But you need to know this. The architect and the builder of this place is God. Isn't that what Abraham said? He was going to a place, trying to find it, whose builder and architect was God. When Jesus Christ calls you and me out, what does He ask us to do? Follow me. Follow me. What should be our response? Where? And he says, I'm not going to tell you. Every day that you and I live, we have no clue what stands before us. We have no idea what will happen to us tomorrow. Not one of you do. We don't. We walk by faith, not by sight. And we are all looking forward to a day. This is going to make me cry. We're all looking forward to a day when we go, can go and be and live in a city whose architect and builder is none other than Jesus Christ, who is building right now a place in heaven for you and me to live eternally with Him. Do you see the similarities? There's so much similarities between the Old Testament and the New and Abraham and us. We too walk by faith, not by sight. Without faith, the Bible says, it is impossible to please God. And so we believe Him, we are obedient to Him, and we walk towards Him the best we know how. But none of us, none of us are know where we're going. We just don't. So, Joshua 24, when God called Abraham, he said, I want you and your family to leave Ur, and I want you, now, I I say this, I think now, we know partially why God wanted to get him out of Ur. Well, number one, he wanted to take him to Shechem, he wanted to take him towards the promised land, so he could tell him, this is the land I'm going to give you. But simply put, I believe God wanted Abraham to get away from his family, because they were idolaters. They were not following and worshipping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were serving other gods. 
And so God called Abraham away from all of that in order to deal with him, to make out of him a nation through which the Messiah would one day come for every single one of us in this world. And so God formed a nation that he would call his own. In the midst of the, uh, of the slavery, he, he says here in, in chapter 24, he called them out of Egypt. They were in slavery. The Jews were in slavery in Egypt. And what seems to me over and over again as you look through Scripture, you can find that it seems that if God is going to make anything out of any one of us, He's going to normally take us through some fire, if you would, some deep waters, some trials, so that He can make us into that person that He desires for you and me to become. That's why it says in James Consider it joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. And I read that with a smirk on my face. You've got to be kidding. I, I don't like trials. Uh-uh. Consider it joy when everything goes right my way. Thank you very much. But the truth of the matter is, for me to become the man that God wants me to become, I, not, I need to consider it joy when I walk through different trials so that God can mold me and, and can make me into the man He wants me to be. And when I go through those trials, I can look back and learn, how did I live through that? How did I deal with that problem? Was, was it a godly fashion or was it an ungodly fashion? And when I realize if I've done it ungodly, I should change my ways, repent and ask God to forgive me. And if I realize by the grace of God I did okay going through it, I need to learn from that as well. We look back at our past so that it can make us the type of person we want to be today. I'm here to say to you that there's no way that you and I can go through the trials that we might go through without understanding and trusting in the Word of God. And I have no, no greater authority than my, one of my heroes, and that's Dr. J. Vernon McGee. I, he, you know, I read his commentaries all the time, not always to... To, to find material or to, to... I read it kind of to keep myself on the right path, but a lot of times I don't use what he writes. But in this case, I couldn't, couldn't resist. Talking about this place, going through a fire and, and remembering your past and dealing with it, Dr. J. Vernon McGee writes this word. Listen, it's, it's, I got it verbatim here. He uses a word I've, I've not heard before. It, it, they told me about it last night. It's called molly, molly coddle. It's kind of pampering. I guess that's an older-fashioned word. I'm old enough should know. I just didn't know it. Yes, I am. <laughs> amen. Boy, I can amen that. But look at, what, look at what Dr. McGee writes. He says, God will not use most of the molly coddle, pampered contemporary churches and Christians we find in many places across America today. He says, I can assure you of that. And the reason he wrote that is because most of the, the seeker-friendly churches and the churches that are not teaching the Word of God, they're of no value to God. Because they have no foundation to stand upon, and when trials hit, they, they kind of just crumble and so he is saying, Dr. McGee, and what is written within the Word of God is, we will go through trials so that it will make us into the man or the woman or the young person that God has called us to be. We will learn by going through trials. And so I agree with that quote entirely. Now Abraham did not, I want you to repeat this, he did not seek after God and discover God. 
Rather, as you read this, it was God who came to Abraham. And there was nothing special about him or the Jews that God should choose them above another person or another nation. It was purely and simply this. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6, 7, and 8. In verse, in verse uh, 6 of Deuteronomy 7, and it's the, the book just before this book of Joshua. It says in verse 6, You are a holy people, talking to Israel. You are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His own possession out of all the people who are on the face of this earth. Verse 7, The Lord did not set His love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the fewest of all the people. But because the Lord loved you, and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers. The Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. This fact alone, just Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6, 7, and 8, if a Jew was to read that in that day, it should have kept him humble and obedient. But as we read on, Judges, the next book, They fall apart. The next generation falls away. They didn't stay humble. They didn't stay obedient. Now I want you to read with me. Turn please to John chapter 15. Just one verse, but hold your place here. And look with me at John. John chapter 15. Where Jesus Christ exclaims to all who believe in Him these words. Remember, God said to Abraham, I didn't choose you because you were special. I chose you because I loved you. Jesus Christ says in John chapter 15, verse 16, You did not choose me, I chose you. And I appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, He will give to you. This fact alone, folks, should keep us humble, and obedient as well. My question to you and me is, will it? Will it? Will we, will we hold fast to the Lord our God? Will we be obedient to Him, regardless of what comes down our path? Now listen, no matter what school of theology you might belong to, whether you believe that God does it all concerning your salvation and you have no part in it, That would be a Calvinist. Or if you believe that we make choices in coming to Him, that would be Arminians. All of us, Calvinists as well as Arminians, must admit this one truth, and it is this. God takes the first step in salvation in our lives. Jesus Christ said as clearly as He possibly could, You did not choose Me, I chose you. It says in the book of Ephesians, which we will study in a while, You and I were dead in our trespasses and in our sin. The word dead there means clinically dead, unable to respond. We were dead. God quickened us to believe in Him. Now in my family, my wife and I have two very opposing views on this. Me, not so much. She's very dogmatic. She believes with all of her heart that she had nothing, zero, nothing to do with her salvation. That God lifted her up, God dusted her off, 
And God put her on her way. Now that she is saved, she has choices that she must make. But as far as her salvation, she believes she had no part in it. I, on the other hand, somewhere within here, tells me that I had to respond. I had to say to God, yeah, I believe He called me. I believe He he choked, put me out. But I believe somewhere in that process, I said, yes, Lord, and in essence, kissed Him because He loved me so much. And Kay looks at me and says, a dead man can't kiss. And so we have debates on this. Not, not arguments, because the fact of the matter is, folks, there are brilliant people on both sides of this particular subject that would be willing to go to war, that they're right. And nobody knows, for sure. But I believe with all my heart that God quickened you, called you, tugged at your heart. For me, it's very comfortable that I, in so much of the love that the Lord God has given me, just reached up and kissed Him and said, Yes. That makes me feel comfortable. Kay would remind us that I was dead and couldn't do it, but I just feel good about it. I just do. I'm not trying to usurp God. And I'm just, I just think that's comfortable for me. In the process of this, no matter where you might land, on this side or that side of that belief system, what we can clearly see back in Joshua chapter 24 from verse 1 to verse 13 is this. In verses 1, 2, 3, and 4, read it for yourself this evening if you have the time. God chose Israel. In verses 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10, God not only chose them, but we see in those five or six verses, He delivered them and guided them into the land. And then in verses 11, 12, and 13, we see that He not only delivered them and guided them, He also gave them the land, their inheritance and their blessings. But watch, watch now. In much the same fashion, so that you and I can learn from the history, we can also see ourselves in this scenario, in which God's most glorious word shows us how much He has blessed us. God has chosen you, folks. Jesus Christ made it clear. You didn't choose, you didn't choose me, He said. I chose you. John 15, 16. Also, Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 tells us clearly, God rescued or delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us, in other words, guided us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. Verse 14 says, In whom you and I have redemption, the forgiveness of our sin. And so like Israel, God chose us. Like Israel, He guides us and He delivers us. And like Israel... He gives us our blessings. Ephesians 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. There is nothing that you and I had to do to get these blessings. They're out there. All we have to do is be obedient and appropriate them into our lives, these blessings. So remember... Remember, when you think through your faith, those who do not remember the past 
or refuse to explore it or study their past. They are condemned to repeat and ultimately make the same mistakes over and over again. And what we need to do is what Joshua was trying, actually God was trying to do with Israel. He was reminding them, you didn't do it. I did it for you. You didn't win the battle. I did it for you. Remain obedient and I will guide you and I will keep you in the land. He is saying to us today, you didn't do it. I chose you. You didn't do it. I have guided you and I have delivered you all along. And you didn't do it. I have given you the blessings that will, that will take you through this life that you live. The spiritual blessings. Just remember your past. Learn from your mistakes. And build upon those things that you do well. Any athlete will tell you. It is repetition that makes really great athletes. They do it over and over and over again. Until it becomes just... Natural. I took so many ground balls in Vero Beach one year at third base and threw the ball to second on a double play that I literally could do it with my eyes closed. I did it. I would take the ball and throw it. And I'd hit the guy right there. I'd take it and throw it, hit him right there. That's why one time you saw, if you watch sports at all, you saw that uh, Michael Jordan one time shot a free throw. And if you saw it up close, he did. Closed his eyes and made it because it was just... The same thing. Well, I should get Bill Morris up here to show you how to shoot. But it was the same thing. Same thing over and over again. Same thing with our walk with Christ. It is repetition. It is practicing those things that you have learned and you have received in me. And Paul reminded us last week, you will not only have the peace of God, but you will have the God who gives you the peace. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are more than sufficient for every single one of us. And that you chose us, you guide and deliver us, Father, and you give us our blessings, our inheritance, the same as you did Israel. Things are quite the same. We just have to see it from your perspective, not ours. And we have to concentrate on who you are, not who we are. The more and more we know you, the more and more we will become lovers of you. Now bless us, Father, as we go from here. Bless our loved ones, our family, our friends. Bless us, Father. Bless us. In Jesus' precious name, amen.